Welcome to an episode of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, coming to you from Toronto. I normally start the podcast with a land acknowledgement, but I am following the lead of an Indigenous friend who asked me to go beyond a land acknowledgement and instead say what I am going to do now that I am more aware of the plight of Indigenous peoples. In the spirit of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Canada, I, Donna Paris, solemnly pledge to learn more about Indigenous peoples and issues, to not perpetuate stereotypes in my conversations or observations, to read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's 94 calls to action, to read the 231 calls for justice in the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, and to actively encourage ongoing support of National Indigenous Peoples Day every June 21st and National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on September 30th. And you can find this pledge at Indigenous Corporate Training Inc at www.ictinc.ca. I give gratitude and thanks. Welcome back as I continue my conversation with Lena Dawes. In the last episode, out February 7th, Lena talked about growing up adopted by white parents and living in a predominantly white community outside of Kingston, Ontario. She talked about the racism she faced as a young girl and how she has carried those hurts throughout her life and how they continue to affect her today. Join me now as Lena talks about how she became a metalhead and the journey around writing her book, What Are You Doing Here? A Black Woman's Life and Liberation in Heavy Metal. So how did you, a little black girl living in Kingston, Ontario, get interested in heavy metal? There's a couple of things, but the main thing was is that we had neighbors that had older teenage boys. And some of them were really old. Like, you know, if I was like seven or eight, they were probably 15, 16. So they would blast music. I was always interested in the music they were playing. And because I come from a musical family, it's not like a big deal. My father's a professional musician. One of my brothers is, my little sister was, my grandfather was. I grew up, you know, listening to like, they were playing Deep Purple or like Black Sabbath. And then I was always interested because it was heavy. And I was like, what is that? Like, why is it so heavy and loud? And I just loved it. I just was drawn to it. And then being in public school and my older sister, she had friends that were listening to punk. So they were getting like the Clash and the Violent Femmes and stuff like that. And then there was also the radio. So you were listening to a myriad of different songs on the radio that ranged from Led Zeppelin or Queen to Michael Jackson. But the main thing was Kiss. There was a made-for-TV movie called Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. I remember with my brothers and sisters, we're all little. I think I was eight. I knew I was eight or nine. But we all watched this movie, and I was just freaked out because of the makeup and the hair and the music. I was just enthralled. But I love the fact that these scary men in costumes and makeup had more power and control than I did. Okay. And I wanted that. So the whole draw was being feared. Really, it was the energy and the anger of these bands. I'm a huge Judas Priest fan, and I got into them at 11. Once you kind of start with Kiss, 
usually, and it's funny because people my age are the same way where you kind of start and then you just keep on going heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. So we're all really into like extreme metal now because we started off listening to Kiss. I now in hindsight can say that I've been a lifelong metal fan, not just because I love the music, but as a kid, it empowered me and it gave me a sense of power that I didn't feel like I had in any aspect of my life. I'd have a bad day at school. I'd run home, lock myself in my bedroom and just crank the music. And I just would get so angry. The anger would turn into power. And whatever resentment, if I wanted to kill someone, I was so angry at someone. Listening to the music channeled that into feeling like I had control. Okay. And even though it's a temporary thing, that's what saved my life. Because I felt like I was suicidal from 11 years old till maybe I was 15. Because I just hated life. I hated where I was. I hated everyone. Mm-hmm. I was miserable. So if it wasn't for heavy metal or listening to just aggressive music and also like the vocality of like the screaming and the yelling was like listening to these white men scream and yell where I knew that I couldn't scream and yell right because I get in trouble but I was living vicariously through these voices and that's what got me through I was very lucky because my parents allowed us to be who we wanted to be Okay. My parents never said, you can't do this because you're a girl or you can't do this because you're black or because you're this or that. Our parents really allowed us to live and, and experiment. When I was working on my book, I met lots of black adults who said that their parents would throw out their albums. They'd have to hide their records. They'd have to not wear their concert t-shirts. They were mercifully bullied by their family members like a lot of black kids had a lot of problems being into metal or hardcore punk music I always knew I was very grateful and very lucky that my parents just allowed us to do what we wanted to do Mm -hmm. because not everybody was that lucky I've been a journalist for over 20 years I mean this is what I do and I as as a scholar now is like I really am able to look at the music in a different way, but I'll always be a metalhead. That's something that's just who I am, is like I'll always be involved in the scene in one way or another, for sure. What kind of grief did you take over the years, though, from other people for being into heavy metal? It was up and down because I went to an all-white high school. There's only five Black people in the high school, but I always had male friends who were metalheads, and so we used to talk about it. I was very chill with my metal friends at high school because we used to gossip and like, oh, did you buy the latest album or whatever? I got a lot of negativity from the parents of my Black friends. They thought I was weird. They didn't like the fact that I was adopted. So they were the ones that would give me grief. I moved to Toronto. You know, I hit Toronto at the greatest time when the grunge era had just started. So there was shows five days a week. And my friend and I would always be the only Black people at shows. I ended up doing this where with my Black friends, I would go out to clubs and do house parties, you know, do Black things. Mm -hmm. But then secretly, I'd still be going to metal shows on the same time. And the reason was, is because I was trying to negotiate or navigate like my Blackness with my metalness. And I just didn't never really fit Mm -hmm. because I always felt like I was being judged 
by Black people, once they found out that I was really into Soundgarden or Pearl Jam or whatever, it would be like, because your family is white. And so everything was because my family is white. Everything was because I'm white and I don't know who I am because I was adopted. And all this stuff they put on you to try and figure out why I just simply like the things I like. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the fact that my parents were white or that I grew up in a white environment or, you know, middle class, you know, whatever. But from white folks, you know, I would get harassed buying albums at record stores. Is this really for you? They almost didn't want to sell it to you because they felt that it wasn't for you because this is white people's music. Uh So I got a lot of that. And then when I started working as a journalist and getting press passes to go to shows, or when I started working as a concert photographer and would get a photo pass and walk into a venue with my camera equipment, that's when it became a problem. Toronto was the worst place to see a show because I just got harassed every single time where somebody, they would say, oh, you're not on the guest list when I knew it was on the guest list. They didn't want let me into the venue. Or if you got into the venue, then you'd have to deal with racist fans. When I started working on my book, for the first year or two, I was like, I'll, you know, I'll never forgive these people. I'll never forget this either. But, you know, trying to get interviews with people, I couldn't get interviews with people. Or I go to do field work and, you know, it was just always a hassle. Fortunately and unfortunately is that my publisher is very well known as an author, as a writer, and as a music journalist, and he's very well respected. So he had to open doors for me. Oh, I know someone who said they would speak to you, or I know someone, let me ask them for you if they could speak to you, you know, and so he really helped me out in terms of people taking me seriously in terms of just writing the book and doing what I needed to do for the book. But it was a struggle. Or you'd have to prove yourself constantly, which a lot of women, regardless of ethnicity, do, where it's like, oh, you're into metal. What was the last Iron Maiden album? Stuff like that. And it's just sort of like, I'm not doing this with you. Part of it was like, I don't care. Like, I only care if you get in my way. Right. Like, if you hinder me from getting into the venue so I can cover the show or shoot the show, and that means I'm not getting paid, that's when I have a problem. It's just a constant fight. But I also just went into all of this thinking, because you cannot legitimately tell me why I shouldn't be in the space, I'm going to continue to be in the space. Because I know that what you're saying to me is BS. And so why should I listen to you? So I'm going to do what I want to do because it's my life. Same little black girl from before who always knew. Yeah. And I just was like, you cannot legitimately tell me why I should not be in the space. Like, who are you? Right. But my life's work is really wondering why there are not more people of color within these spaces. It's a hard conversation to have, Mm -hmm. but I still feel that for the properties of the music that saved my life as a child, I want to ensure that other people, especially young people, are able to recognize that they can heal through music. Mm-hmm. I believe in heavy metal, but it could be other things too. It could be any genres, but it's really about finding spaces and places that soothe your soul when the world is not going to soothe it. And I just think that in terms of the live performance space is the best space to be in. I love going to concerts. 
I love going to festivals. I love being around everybody who's really into the same music I'm into. It's the mm -hmm. best feeling in the world, but it should be available and accessible for everyone. And no one should go into a space going, oh, am I going to get my ass handed to me because I'm Black? Right. Like, this is ridiculous. Give me a break. But it still happens. You know, I talk about, you know, the white racism I experienced. Um, I think the worst was coming from Black folk. The alienation mm. um, of being an adoptee from Black people was the most painful, searingly painful experiences that have really, to this day, I still am struggling with it. Not like a certain incident, but I still struggle with trust and comfortability. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I don't love my people. It's because my people have hurt me and I don't trust them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny because, you know, I, I mentioned it before, but, you know, I had a life-changing surgery. I had a lot of time to think about things. And it's amazing how some of the decisions I made around that time like not reaching out to people, not reaching out to dear friends. I didn't talk to anyone. I really needed to talk to people who I trusted. And so I kept my circle very, very small. And a lot of that was because if I told my story to a Black friend of mine, I didn't trust them to listen because it had to do with my story, like my adoption story it had to do with my biological parentage. And I didn't feel comfortable having those conversations. It's amazing how these things stay with you. And I think as a Canadian, it's very hard because I feel like I'm hatched. I don't feel Canadian. I'm certainly not American. I don't really feel Jamaican. I feel like an alien because I've never fit into any of those things. And Canada, I mean, I'm proud to be Canadian by birth, you know, love going home. Mm -hmm. I, I love the area where I was raised. You know, I love Ontario. I think Canada is a beautiful, beautiful country, but I feel like it's not mine. I have two older white male brothers and I see that they, you know, God bless them. They have white privilege. I've seen them go through life relatively easy. And my sisters and I have a different experience. And I resent that. I've always resented it, but part of it in terms of outside of resenting it, I also saw like, if they can do it, why can't I? It's interesting because I think we were raised to believe that we were all equal. Like as children, we were all equal. But as you get older, you realize not necessarily from your family structure, but from what society is telling you that you are not equal. Mm -hmm. So I think that I'm not naive enough to say, well, I went into this because I saw my brothers do it and I want to be like my brothers. Not necessarily, but I saw that the power and the privilege that they had, and I wanted that and didn't understand why I couldn't get it. And the thing is, is like, it's assumed as Black people that we should feel a certain way, we should do a certain way, we should inherently know that we're just, you know, subhuman or, you know, whatever BS they tell us about ourselves. But for me, it was things being thrown at you and not having any context. There was no contextualization. You know, my parents were never racially discriminated against, so they couldn't tell me nothing. You know, there is a contradiction there. Why am I so involved and passionate about a scene that does not have anything to do with me? There's not going to, like as a Black woman, it does nothing for me. But as an individual, it makes me stronger.
Okay. So it's about separating the issues about like, I'm proud to be a woman. I'm proud to be black. But more importantly, one thing I've learned about my story and like my history is that I have to be proud of me as an individual mm-hmm. and I need to do what I want to do as an individual outside of the labels that are placed on my body. That's why I do what I do because I simply like what I do. I'm lucky to write about and do stuff that I'm personally interested in. A lot of people don't have that luxury mm-hmm. of doing something that they like to do. But I think that it saved me because it really gave me, I wouldn't say confidence, but it really, it, it helped me tap into parts of me that I didn't know existed. And one of them is determination and drive and ambition. Because I certainly did not have those when I was a kid. And I think that I developed those three things through not only listening to metal, but also like idolizing or really admiring certain people who just embodied what I wanted to be. And a lot of it is comes down to like just really independence and just believing in yourself. I think for me, it helped me believe in myself. You know, when we first started this discussion, I was telling you that about adoption, that there is a lot of discourse, like there's a lot of conversations happening. A lot of it has been negative. White people shouldn't adopt black folks. They're going to screw them up, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a common thing. But on the other hand, I've also read very interesting posts by people who have also been adopted that have encouraged me because they're sharing personality traits that I have. I didn't know where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about trauma, gestational trauma, trauma from adoption that you might have. I mean, I was six, seven months old when I was adopted. I, you know, I can't remember anything, but in the conversations that I'm listening to now, there's a lot of explanation about where certain characteristics I have come from. Mm-hmm that I'm now just learning about. So I think heavy metal has helped definitely save my life. It gave me a chance to be angry and to express that anger when there is no other way an environment I would be allowed to express that anger. And as we know, as Black people, especially as Black women, once you are positioned as angry, it's all over, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's really interesting because that listening to the music and the lyricism, depending on the band, could be about even being independent, living free, away from authority, Judas Priest, Breaking the Law, great song, perfect for this. It's just like, that's what I needed is like rebellion and the permission to be rebellious, which Mm -hmm. meant that the permission to not be what people think I should be or or they think I am, which is stupid, and I'm not going to amount to anything. Listening to the music allowed me to put those voices aside and to focus solely on myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would you change anything? In terms of like what I do, like my book and my writing and journalism and stuff, no. About my life in general, oh yeah, there's a lot I would, but I'd probably be in jail. So <laughs> okay, maybe that's, that's not that. the best. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I would have kicked more ass. I said this to somebody recently. I said the worst part about people dealing with racial harassment or racism or any of this is the feeling you get when you feel like you didn't defend yourself. Oh, yeah. The regret I have is not beating certain people up who deserve to be beaten up. It's certain relatives that needed to be cursed out mm -hmm. that I didn't curse out. That's the only regret I have in life is really like not standing up for myself in times when I needed to because I was too afraid. And more importantly, because I felt they were right. I was worthless. I was useless. I was nothing. And because I believed in that myself, I let people do things to me that they shouldn't have done. But you couldn't have done anything about that. My older sister stood up for herself and she paid the price. I'm not in the position to tell her stories, but I also witnessed, I think a lot of it was having an older sister that paid the price for certain things and knowing that I didn't want to go down that road. Right. And yeah. so there's a lot of regret there. There's a lot of regret and there's a lot of anger there. But you're right. I mean, when you're little, there's an expectation that you will be supported and you're not. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what to do. So you learn how to defend yourself. I joke about going to jail, but in some ways I would have rather have gone to jail mm -hmm. than put up with some of the bullshit, excuse my language, that I put up with. Because mm -hmm. I'm still angry. I guess the best thing about wanting to be an educator is I teach and I work with kids because I want to make sure that they're protected, that they feel safe, and they never go through what my sister and I went through, ever. Anything else you want to share? I think that was great. Great to talk about, like, obviously music. I'm hoping that I got across kind of all of these intersections. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking, I was like, I want to say, I want everyone to know that I'm proud to be Black. And it's like, you know what? I don't even really care. You can listen to this podcast and make up your own damn minds. But I do think that for what I want to do in my life, which is to be a professor and to keep on writing and do more scholarships, is that my main thing is I'm really focused and centered on Black youth. I really love working with just youth in general. I'm excited to be a professor and just to be able to educate and help kids. And I'm hoping that you know my experience and my work will help young people, specifically Black kids, kids of color. Mm -hmm. That's what I really hope to do in my life is to just continue creating projects and work and art that helps our communities. And that's it. Fantastic. Is there a little piece of, oh, they're going to get something I never got? Well, I think so. You know, I have friends that have children who are in their late teens, early 20s, whatever, and I want them to be happy. But it's really hard. These feelings are really hard. I mean, in some ways, I'm resentful of my little sister. My little sister's life has been 100% better and easier than mine. I'll always struggle a little bit and wonder if things would have been different in my life if the environment had been different. I think there's always that what if. But honestly, I really don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. I have my moments, you know, <laughs> I have my moments, but I think that really, I don't really think about that. And I try not to think about my background either. I don't have these conversations with anyone. It's hard, but I think that it's also useful because 
we have to be honest with each other. We have to be honest with ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In order for ourselves to heal. Yeah. And I'm still in that process. I'm definitely still trying to heal and still trying to work on myself. And I think that as humans, we always will until we die, you know? Right. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time and spending so much time with me today. Thank you so much. Yeah. You made it very easy to have these conversations. You made it very easy to open up and to share. Because I wasn't expecting to say as much as I did prior to this, but no, it's this is great. It's great to meet you. And I hope that we will continue to be in dialogue with each other. So definitely. Yes. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our website, www.intheblackcanada.ca to listen to Black Canadians from across this country talk about their experiences and those of their ancestors of being Black in Canada. And if you have a story to tell, contact us through the website or at intheblackcanada at gmail.com. You can catch more episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, wherever you get your podcasts.